0: This morning's sermon comes to us from the 5th chapter of the letter of St. James. I'll begin reading in verse 7 of the 5th chapter and read through the end of the chapter in verse 20 where we find these words of St. James the Just, uh, also known as the half-brother of Jesus. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whenever you start looking at a list of prayer warriors in church history, you kind of have to stop at this guy named George Mueller over in the, 18th, in the 19th century. Uh, he was a, a German pastor who was called to serve a church over in England, and God started laying on his heart the, uh, the necessity of building an orphanage in Bristol, England. When he, uh, he sensed this call from God, he only had about 50 cents in his pocket. And over the next several decades, Mueller decided he would never accept anything, never ask anything from anyone. He would pray for God to fulfill the needs of the orphanage since God had called him to do this. And on at least one occasion, he brought 300 orphans into the dining hall, sat them down at empty tables, and said grace over empty tables. Within minutes, a baker and a milkman showed up with enough bread and milk for 300 kids. And over the course of his life and over the course of his ministry, they they say that Mueller spent over $7 million working with the orphans and providing for the orphans and he never asked anyone for a dime except for God. And when he died, he was almost penniless, but he had relied on God to serve the, the needs of those orphans. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's your King James quote for the day because that's how I first learned that verse. And whenever we start looking at one of the greatest privileges that we possess as people of God, as those adopted into the family by our confession of faith as Jesus' Lord, believing in His resurrection, prayer stands at the top of practically any list that you can imagine. You see, we don't have a God who impassively sits over in some ethereal plane and completely ignores His people. We don't serve a God and love a God who doesn't return that kind of love. We serve a God who actively works in history to bring about the answer to the prayers of His people and as He does so, He He has promised and He has done, He has has moved all kinds of things over the course of history to fulfill the prayers. Prayers of his saints. And when you start looking at prayer, you can't, you can't ignore this passage right here. The sermon text today gives us a great lesson on the power of prayer and how prayer works for us. Now, of course, you have to start with one of the primary components of prayer. It's one nobody wants to think about and everybody wants to avoid, but here it goes be patient. Oh, my. Anybody here really, really think that you want patience? Um, We have a couple of things. First off, Lord, I need patience and I need it now. And I know I'm not the only person here that's ever prayed that one. And then, of course, there's the other thing about whatever you do, don't ever pray for patience. Because if you do, you're going to get it all right. And here's one of the problems that we have with this. It comes down to patience and I actually had to go and look up something here I had to look it up and it says patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset I had to tell the Sunday school class I had a, had an occasion this week I had to tell my buddy that I work with uh, you better look out I'm having to preach on patience this coming Sunday and after a couple of text support calls on Monday I looked at him and I said buddy it's going to be a long week. The capacity to accept delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Nobody really wants to go through what it takes to get patience. Impatience is one of those things you can't get from reading a book. Trust me, I've tried. Uh, you can't get it from asking somebody else. It's one of those things that comes only with the, with the acceptance and the endurance of trouble and trials in our lives. The only thing is, patience is a, it's not just a virtue, as the old saying goes. It's a requirement for a successful prayer life because God sees things totally different than we do. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that he has an impeccable sense of timing. And oh my stars, I wish that God had my sense of timing when I started praying for stuff. You see, if he had my sense of timing, I would pray, cool, I'd like that. But it doesn't work that way. James says, you must be patient, therefore brothers, for how long? Until the coming of the Lord. Now, folks, we have no idea how long it's going to take for Jesus to come back. We know only that He will. Do we really have the kind of patience to pray for something knowing that we may not receive an answer until He comes back? Some folks will say, well, how long is it going to take? I'd point out to you that Moses prophesied Jesus' coming 15 centuries before He came. Isaiah prophesied about it 800 years before, and Daniel prophesied about 500 years before, and it's been 2,000 years almost since St. James wrote these words. We could have to wait a while. And the problem is, we don't like to wait. I promise you, i I, bet, I tell you what, if I'm wrong, tell me on the way out the door. I could probably walk into any house in this congregation today, and go in go in, into your kitchen, and you've got a microwave there, Right? Yeah, we don't have to cook for hours for anything. Uh, hey, well, what's this thing about letting the water boil for tea? I put the water in a cup, put it in there, to punch the, the minute button a couple of times. ten minutes later, I'm enjoying tea. We're an instant society in a religion that requires patience. And we need it. Because if we've ever learned something about patience, we'll learn a few things about God. For one thing, we'll learn that God has a better sense of timing that we do, than we do. And secondly, we'll learn to trust Him while we're waiting for Him to answer our prayers. Because as you see here, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Some of them had to wait for centuries. And then, uh, this thing about we consider those blessed who remain steadfast... Anybody can toss out a prayer and then say, oh, well, no five minutes later. Oh, well, God didn't hear me and go on for something else. No. Constant prayer, persistent prayer is a requirement for a, for a prayer life. You can't just, can't just do it and now I lay me down to sleep prayer at, at, at night and, and then not pray And all. So I love what Amanda said during the thing. It's what it builds on St. Paul. Pray without ceasing. You pray constantly. You pray, you pray for, for things and you pray knowing that in His time, God will work to answer that prayer. But meanwhile, you keep praying because you know He's building patience in you and He's also doing something in the life of the person that you're praying for to make something else come about that you may not have imagined even possible. You see, God doesn't just have an impeccable sense of timing. He has the perfect perspective on everything happening. I could pray for something to happen to you because I think it's the best thing in the world for you. And God may look on down through history, through time and see that if this happens to you today, it may hinder something He's trying to do a decade from now. See, I can't see a decade in the future. Nobody can. So we learn to trust God. We learn to trust God just as Job had to learn to trust Him. By the way, shameless plug and morning too. The Sunday morning sermons on, in October are coming out of the book of Job. So, we're about to hear a whole lot about patience apparently. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, Job is upheld as the paragon of patience. Even as he is crying out and trying to tell his friends, I didn't do anything to deserve this, and his friends are doing their best to say, Oh, yes, you did. If you'll just confess, then everything will be great. Well, yeah, if he confesses something, they're going to run out and tell everybody else. Well, even in the middle of all that stuff, Job's still upheld as the paragon of patience. He's the one around whom we're supposed to base our lives when it comes to suffering and understanding how God can work in, work in the sufferings of life. And then, because we can trust God and know that when He answers our prayers, when, not if, we know that He answers our prayers as truth. When he speaks, we have received truth. And as Christians, we too must speak truth. You see, James says here, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. In other words, we're supposed to make sure that when we speak, we don't have to swear on something. Because everyone wants you know that as believers, we will tell the truth whether it, whether it gets us in trouble or whether it gets us out of trouble. And essentially, James is quoting here what Jesus said over in, uh, uh, over in, uh, in Matthew where in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard what it was said to, to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Do not take an oath by your hand that you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Any more than this comes from evil. I shouldn't have to, have to swear on a stack of Bibles for you to believe what I say. You know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and you should know because of my relationship with God that I must say, when I say yes, that it means yes, and when I say no, that it means no. And it's the same for everybody else. As we pray, we expect God to answer us truthfully and we should also answer other people truthfully because as they're talking to us, they're in essence watching what we say and what we do because they know of our relationship with God, a relationship made possible by prayer and sustained with prayer as well. And once again, who should pray? Everybody. When? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, I don't think we have that much trouble with praying and suffering. Nobody has to tell me when I'm sick that I need to pray for healing. No, I can handle that one. Every so often, somebody needs to hear this. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You see, when God starts working in somebody's life, we need to praise Him for what He's done. Once again, you go back in the Old Testament, and start looking at, at, at the Thanksgiving offering, you know, the, the free will offering back in, in Leviticus. The, the, person who, the person who makes that offering stands by the altar as the sacrifice is cooking, as the meat and, the, and so forth is cooking on the altar, and he tells everybody in the sanctuary why he's offering this sacrifice. And then he offers the sacrifice and offers all uh, the grain, the wine, everything is brought. It's a communal meal. Everybody in the sanctuary can take part in this man's sacrifice because God has answered his prayer. And it provides for the poor and also tells everybody else in the sanctuary that God's still actively working to fulfill prayers. We need to rejoice. Why do you think we're having a fifth Sunday night singing tonight? So we can rejoice in what God has done in the life of this sanctuary, of this congregation, and also in the life of, in the lives of the people around us. And then, what about the sick? If any is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, several things we can say about this passage. For one thing, Saint James says. ...that you're to call the elders. Keep in mind that elder is a position in the early church. It's not just the old folks, okay? It's a position in the church... Uh, we don't typically have elders in Southern Baptist polity. Some Southern Baptist churches have gone back and added elders as as part of the, as as a, a part of their church leadership, but for the most part, the elders constitute the same thing as pastors and associate ministers and so forth in our in in, in, uh, in most of the Southern Baptist congregations. And of course, some denominations still have elders, and other denominations uh, you call uh, on, on the clergy to serve that role. But essentially. What St. James is saying here, you call on the people that you know have a living relationship with God because, uh, uh, I've heard it said before, if the preacher can't get a prayer through, nobody can. Well, actually, I don't have a direct line any more than you do. I'm sorry, God, when when we're ordained, God doesn't, doesn't give us a speed dial number to put in our iPhones. Okay? We pray the same as anybody else. But the thing is, you'd think that the the elders are those more spiritually mature and therefore more competent as far as as in their faith, knowing that God's going to answer their prayers. Anointing with oil. Well, you can go back as far as you want in in, in the Old Testament. You'll see that, that, that for some reason God has chosen olive oil as a, as a signifier of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see it in the anointing of Aaron and his sons over in Leviticus into the priesthood. You see it in the anointing of the kings over in, in the historical books. And time again, you see where oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people will say, well... If I call on you, no, if, if I'm in the hospital and you, you come in, and I call, call on you. You're going to anoint me with oil. Well, if you want me to, yes, I will. But I'm going to pray for you anyway. Keep in mind that the oil itself doesn't do anything. And just in case you're wondering, has anyone ever asked me to do that? And the answer is, well, yes. And yes, I have. Uh, I have prayed over someone in, in, in the hospital. Now, of course, when the guy asked me to pray for it, I had to go looking for something or other. I didn't have any olive oil on me, as you can imagine. That's not something I usually carry in my pockets. And yeah, in that case, uh, a little bit of hair gel had to do the point. Had, had to do service. And you know what? It's not about the oil. It's about the prayer and the faith and the patience. And I want to point something else else out too. One of my one of my, my professors at Beeson really convicted me about something one time. You now, when you come to our prayer services on Sunday nights, you see this. Um, we don't just pray for the sick. He said, uh, uh, no, Doctor Williams said that it, it amazed him that in most in most congregations, their no, prayer times are more involved keeping the sick saints out of heaven than it is about getting the, about getting poor sinners into the church. So yeah, we pray for people's salvation. We pray for those in leadership positions over us and those serving our nation. We pray for other churches in our area and for missionaries and so forth. Yes, we pray for those that have lost their loved ones to death and yes, we pray for those that are sick. But there's more to a prayer service than just praying for the sick. Because God wants us to pray for whom? Everyone. Gosh, I love feed the lambs around here. You see, that's what we get. We get the thing of when we start praying, we start seeing God working. And how does it it work here? It comes down to what I said earlier. The the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How do you know your prayers will get answered? Keep in mind that righteous living, as the psalm passage points out to us today, puts us in the position of blessing before God. God can't bless the unrighteous because they're out of the place of blessing. But when we live righteous lives, when we live rightly before God, we're in a position where He can bless us, and He blesses us by answering our prayers and by letting us see the answers to those prayers because it strengthens our faith and the faith of everybody around us who knows that we're praying for something. And then comes a very sticky part here. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, gosh, we're Baptists. Don't tell me he's going to set up a confession booth around here. Well, no, hadn't quite entered my mind to set up a confession booth if we ever do any kind of remodeling around here. But on the other hand, you need to know something. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not. Maybe you're one of these people who never, who never tells anybody else something or other. You ever heard that phrase, honest confession is good for the soul? Have you ever tried it? Take it from somebody who's blown it a few times and who kind of had to confess a few things. It works. I don't know what it is, but there's something about finding a mature believer who will pray for you and who will love you no matter what you've done and letting that person know that you need help with something and confessing what you need help for. There's something relieving about that. It amazes me when I think about it But I have a feeling that a lot of people are walking around both spiritually and physically sick today because they're carrying burdens for which they really need a lot of help. And I'm not saying just go out and find the first person on the street and confess whatever it is you need to to spill your guts about. No, find somebody that's going to keep it between themselves and God and then let that person help you pray for it. Because it kind of, it, 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 look, be, you know, yeah, be wise about who you pick, for one thing. And a couple of things that happen. First off, yeah, I'm telling you from personal experience, honest confession is good for the soul. It, it does lift you up a little bit. Secondly, the person to whom you confess can then hold you accountable. And there's just something about going and blowing it the same way you've done it before when you know you've got to confess to somebody else that you've done it. It's something of a deterrent. Try it sometimes. And it comes down to this. God wants us to enjoy our relationship with Him. It's a relationship that we can't enjoy if we're out of the place of blessing. And it's also a relationship that we must enjoy in community with one another. Don't go spill your guts to everybody, but undoubtedly you can trust somebody to help you live a godly life and can can, can help you pray about the things in your life. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Look at Elijah. One prayer, three and a half years, no rain. He prays again. Whoosh! Starts pouring. Go over to First Kings and read the story this afternoon. Absolutely amazing. And then something else about prayer. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, because we do live in relationship with God, we live in relationship with one another. And we need to reach out to those that are wandering outside, of the, outside the congregation. And we need to do our best to bring them back into the congregation so they can enjoy the relationship, so they can enjoy the praise, so they can, they can hear that God's working in other people's lives and can, and can know that He's working in their lives as well so that, he can, so that they too can contribute as much as they enjoy the, the, the blessings of others. It does come down to this, folks. We only have the privilege of prayer because we serve a personable God. We serve a God who loves us. And if you want to see just how deeply He loves us, look no further than Calvary. And at Calvary, you will see just how much God truly loves us. See, the old thing about, you ask Jesus, how much do you love me? Jesus says, I love you this much. He stretches out His arms and He dies. And I believe as much as we want to look at this passage as far as prayer is concerned, we also have to look at a passage over in Gethsemane where Jesus talks about, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but let let not my will, but thy will be done. Every week in this congregation, in this sanctuary, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray that, we also pray for God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I want us as a congregation as well as individual believers to grow deeper in our faith, to pray more. Yes, to join us on Sunday nights as we come together for prayer because, you know, we do serve a vital role in this community and in the lives of those around us when we come together to pray for them. And I promise you, the more you pray, the more prayers you'll see answered. I'll also have to tell you from personal experience, like it or not, it doesn't always happen on your timetable. Goodness knows it doesn't always happen on mine, but I've had to realize the longer I've been a Christian... Uh, there are a lot of times I've prayed for something and I've, I've been extremely short-sighted in my prayers. God has worked on that in me. And I praise Him for working on that. I've come to realize that, although I, I think that I have a great sense of timing when I start praying, I have yet to match God's record. And I know that if I pray for someone... It's not a question of if he will answer the prayer. It's a question of when and how. And I challenge you, as you go out today, pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for all those around you. And as the ancient liturgy reminds us, if you have no one else to pray for, pray for me also, a sinner. Let's pray for one another. And praise God when, not if, He answers those prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.